This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Chen Yujin, former product marketing manager of Uber China in a two-part conversation. And in the second part, we discuss the Uber China mafia and how they are now shaping the entrepreneurial landscape in China. Welcome back with me, Chen Yujin, former product marketing manager from Uber and also currently a freelance writer and artist. And of course, we spent the first part of our two-part conversation talking about the digital experience in China and how is it changing and how is it different from the rest of the world and how would people think about product when coming to design products in China. Since Chen Yu has been involved previously in Uber China, so and she wrote a pretty interesting article recently about what happened to the Uber China Mafia. I actually want to get to know the story of Uber China from her perspective and from her lens. And to start off, maybe Chen Yu, can you tell me about your role and coverage when you were with Uber China? For context, I was a product marketing manager on the Uber China partnerships team. So I'm based in San Francisco and spend half time in China and half time in HQ. So I work with the HQ product and engineering team to understand the China market and prioritize on what features to build for the next quarter. And I would also uh, be close in contact with the operations and business development teams in China to understand their needs and insights. For example, we have an integration with Baidu Maps. How do we optimize that channel so people can hail a ride on Baidu apps? And that's an example of the type of work I've been doing. That's my main role, yes. Mm-hmm. As I understand, Uber China is actually divided into three regions when it comes to thinking about what to do and how to actually get the mobile app being adopted within China. I guess one interesting thing that I've read in your article is that what are the key important traits for people which Uber hired in China? Yes. So as you mentioned, Uber China was divided by three regions, Northwest, the Central, and the South. And each region has a regional general manager. They are responsible for their own P&L and KPI. Uber is a very operations-driven company. And with that, Uber is a very operational-driven company to run a very tight operation. So the people that Uber has hired has been, to summarize, in three different traits. The first is extreme ownership and entrepreneurial hustle. It's like everyone, a city manager, a regional manager, is the CEO of their region, the CEO of their city. So they are responsible for their uh, user acquisition retention. So you would be uh, like an entrepreneur within a company. The second part that's often overlooked is a bilingual ability. So working for Uber China, the uh, language used is English. All the employees are well-versed in both U.S. and Chinese cultures, and a lot of them have studied abroad and worked for U.S. or U.K. consulting and finance company uh, because there's a lot of pricing work, a lot of operations work that actually requires that technical background and ability to communicate with headquarters colleagues in English. And I think the third one is creativity. As you mentioned, Uber has had a lot of stunts in China. How do you combine 
local city cultures with very interesting like hot pot on demand or like a lion dance on demand. And so they really attracted a lot of creative and also like very entrepreneurial people. So that's also what makes it very different from the usual local Chinese entrepreneurial talent. There is this question that always eludes me because when I talk to different people, it means different things. I mean, I want to get your perspective. How do you define what success means in China for a foreign company? It could be a Silicon Valley company. It could be any company from overseas that enters into China. So I think for mobile products, not often. So you look at how you define your user metrics, right? For a social networking app, it's like the MAU, monthly active users, or DAU. For like a ride-hailing app, it would be like rides completed or new users and how many drivers you have. Uh, for if you sell physical products, it's like your revenues and your profits. Once you know your metrics and setting up realistic milestones and success metrics about what winning China means, because China has a closed ecosystem and government regulations in place. And it is unlike any other market and requires its own separate strategy. So setting realistic goals. And I believe a complete winning over in China is an often unrealistic goal. So once you have your own milestones and you hit those milestones, I believe it could be a kind of success. This is probably my favorite question of the day. I have this conversation with Kaiser Kuo, former head of international relations for Baidu. And he said this to me. He said that Uber has definitely the execution playbook of that similar to any Chinese company. It has the same moral grayness like any Chinese company. And yet it gets 30%. Even though it is sold Uber China to DD, it's still made from its 2 billion on paper into a 7 billion in paper. I think in today's valuation, it's probably more than that. So to him, even though Uber has retreated from China, it's considered a success for a Silicon Valley in China. So in your perspective, did Uber fail in China? I don't think Uber failed in China. And I agree with Kaiser that financially, Uber is in a long-term gain, right? Taking 17.7 economic interest in DD choosing. And DD is much more than a ride-hailing app. Any Chinese internet giant will branch out into new businesses and become a big conglomerate. And especially Didi is a child of Tencent and Alibaba from a merger in 2015. For example, Didi is a major investor in Ofo, a leader in China's bike-sharing battle. And they also have expanded globally and they just acquired a local ride-hailing app in Brazil, invested in Grab and venture into new areas through their investment arm. From from a financial perspective, Uber is in the long-term gain, as you mentioned. But I think often we look at financial values for defining a success of an acquisition or merge. I also believe in the culture influences that Uber has contributed to both China and Silicon Valley. For example, in China, Uber trained high-caliber entrepreneurs and what I call them the Uber China Mafia. They are an analogy to the PayPal Mafia where the founders and early employees of PayPal has went on to start like Tesla and other successful companies. So similarly, the Uber China core members have since ventured into being the leader of the bike sharing battle of 2017 from Ofo to Mobike. 
and also the core members of Toutiao, the largest news aggregation app in China, as well as Weilai Xichu and Youxing Arshouche. Majority of them still in the transportation space. And thirdly, I believe this rare breed of entrepreneurs with cross-border experience. That these Uber China mafia are well positioned and prepared to build unicorns from China. Mobike and Ofo has been expanding globally very aggressively, and they've hired some of the best talents from US, from UK, from Singapore, and everywhere. Recently, one of the Uber regional general manager. In the U.S., actually joined to be the VP of U.S. operations for Ofo. So you can really see that not only Chinese entrepreneurs coming out of Uber have a playbook about how to execute and roll out a global product, but they also attracted global talents to join. I believe that talent is one of the most important thing you need to grow, and people who really know the local markets. On the other hand, back in Silicon Valley. Uber is the first company with a China-first OKR that led to an organizational-level focus on understanding and working in China. So the colleagues who have worked on Baidu Map integration, on Alipay integration, would have an advantage about understanding how Chinese company works and how Chinese apps are different. For example, there's constant promo banners. Popping up in Baidu app, right? They would really have an advantage, whatever they do in the future, that has relation to China. And I think this is interesting because you talk about OKRs. It's, it's a way of reporting and talk about what you should be focusing first on each week, your progress, priorities, and your problems. And this is something that was、uh, introduced by Sequoia Capital, and it's very successfully implemented not just in Uber but also in Google, Facebook, and a lot of other companies. I just want to get some names. Who are the key people in Uber China Mafia that are now? Involved in the bicycle sharing space, like Ofo and Mobike. Yes. So from the Mobike side, Davis Wang was the Shanghai GM, and he went on to found Mobike. And the VP of Product and Engineering and Head of Product Design worked hand in hand in Uber China. And on the Ofo side, Yan Qi, who is a core executive at Ofo, he was the RGM for North and West China, and he was one of the fastest promoted RGM in Uber's history. He successfully launched Chengdu. Which was the top one city in Uber's global charts, and his colleague Ching became the VP of Operations for Ofo, and along with other core members. And these Uber China core members, when after the merge, they were looking for some new exciting problem to solve. A lot of them actually joined Mobike and Ofo. To take the battle from ride-hailing to bike-sharing in、uh, 2017, but now, as you know, both Mobike and Ovo have grown like significantly, and their talent pool has also diversified a lot. But in the early days, there are a lot of Uber influenced. After Uber sold Uber China to Didi, you have all these great talent. That is bilingual, that entrepreneurial. They can actually take ownership. Why is Didi unable to keep the talent from Uber China? I believe that Didi and Uber are different companies. Didi is a purely local domestic company, although. It is growing internationally right now, but out of seven thousand employees,、uh, you don't need to use English on a daily basis. But Uber is Uber China. All the employees speak 
English, right? So like a lot of them are educated abroad and they are looking for some kind of middle ground between US and China. One of the commonality among all Uber China employees is bilingual in professional capacity. And this is not required to work for China and not easy to recruit in China. Uber has been a product that touched the daily lives of millions in China, from the retired grandpa who gave up mahjong time for driving to housewives who traded soap opera binge watching with earning extra pocket money. Uber is a mission-driven product that really attracted a lot of bilingual talent to join them. Being able to work in China, but also working for a global brand has its unique appeal to a lot of these talents. That's why when the merger happened, they are looking for some other outlets. Some of these Uber China talent have also flowed into other multinational corporations as well. So one final question before we actually close. I, the most interesting thing is that when while you're in it and then now you're out of it, you can have a lot of reflections on what things are like. What are the key lessons that you think that entrepreneurial talent can draw from Uber China or this new wave of Uber mafia that has just emerged? I think there's a lot to learn from Uber China's culture and talent building. I say that Uber spent a significant amount of focus on building out the China operations. I, I was extremely impressed when I first landed in a Beijing office, in Shanghai office, to see the same caliber of a talent working in U.S. and China, it feels like you are walking into the same office where, uh, just in different parts of the world. And that is not easy um, to recruit this type of bilingual talent. Uh, so I think a few lessons I summarized are first to have a crystal clear mission statement in one sentence. Why? Because it will give remote teams purpose in difficult times and help mobilize as team grows. And Uber's mission in Wentons is to make transportation as reliable as running water. And say, if you are working in a remote office and now you understand the mission of the company and you, you would be more motivated to work. And the second part is having actionable core values. Uh, Uber's 14 core uh, culture values have really helped guide and motivate large remote teams. Uh, values such as always be hustling, being an owner, not a renter. Um, celebrity cities are still virally shared across China in WeChat moments. And the third part, and I think is very often overlooked, is invest in infrastructure to ensure productivity for global collaboration. So I worked in China before for U.S. companies, and we opt into local equivalents. Like we would have China's version of Google Drive or Dropbox, or China's version of Google Calendar. Eventually, it leads to communication gaps, kind of more separate uh, operations. But Uber's, Uber China has over 20 offices and all equipped with fast Wi-Fi and VPN to work with global teams. And often when we come to China, people say that you need to work in China way. But I think to be able to work as a global company, you want to keep consistent communication collaboration methods. Um, so this is an important part that I think we could learn from Uber. Fourth part is religiously document best practices. I think you mentioned that Uber has a lot of creative marketing stunts that helped grow the users. Imagine you have a global brain with people from you know 50 different countries that collaboratively come up with really creative campaigns like say the ice cream day works in Paris we can have a global playbook and every city can roll out so 
in the Uber ecosystem, people are not working alone. They are like working collaboratively uh, to contribute to creative ideas. Everything you need is documented in the system so that if I want to roll out how to deliver ice cream on demand and grow the user, I would look, go into the, use, uh, the, the database and look for the playbook and I can roll out according to my local market. The last part is the regional summits by functionality. So Uber has a lot of these regional summits where colleagues in different regions, because we have so many offices, like I mentioned, over 20 offices, if people don't get to see each other, they may feel lost. So once in a while, there are going to be like a product summit, a product operation summit, a marketing summit. Then people in the same functionality will get together and brainstorm for and sharing best practices. And I believe this is also extremely effective. I think this is very interesting about what Uber has done very differently from a lot of Western companies when thinking about China. I also want to draw a very uh, short anecdote that I have with one of my protégés who interned in Uber in San Francisco. Apparently, every Thursday in Uber, they actually turn their Wi-Fi from LTE 4G speed down to a 3G speed. And of course, all the engineers was in Stripe. And why are you doing this, right? You're making our work really slow. And what Uber's management told their engineers is that this is the kind of problems your colleagues in China and India are going to have. So if you think you're that smart, go fix it. So they have to figure out how to reduce the Uber down to almost working at very fast at 2G or 3G speeds. I think a lot of people don't realize that Uber's app is actually very light. It's less than 10 megabytes for downloading. So a lot of it is even the way how they think about emerging markets is also very, very different from a traditional Silicon Valley company. So Chen Yu, many thanks for, for you coming on the show and talk about the, the China's digital experience and the interesting apps that a lot of people might not know about, for example, Xiaohongshu and Zhihu, and also sharing with us the story of Uber China from your perspective and what it has done for China in a different way. So in closing, I would like to just ask you two questions. So my first question to you is, can you recommend a book, podcast, movie, or anything that has impacted your personal or work life recently? Okay, so, so the book I recommend is Emotional Equations by Chip Conley. His book helped me understand how to manage emotions with equations, for example, anxiety equals uncertainty times powerlessness. And now I can actually use like methods, like equation to reduce the stressors and reduce anxiety. In the past, I just thought that, you know, emotions is like hard to manage. There are so many different parts. And uh, I really enjoyed how this book helped me to like find ways to manage emotions. And we all work in the startup world and there's constantly like stress and uh, uncertainty. So this book has been really helpful. How do my audience find you? On Twitter and Instagram, I am uh, Chen Yuzi, uh, C-H-E-N-Y-U-Z. And on WeChat and Chinese social media, I am Ping Jiejie, which is uh, Miss Apple. And so you can find me on my WeChat official account um, or um, Weibo. To see all more, uh, to see more updates, and you can find me at Bernard Leung or at bernardleung.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A N A L Y S E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, TuneIn, and of course Google Play in the US market. And tweet to me or drop me any comments and thoughts as well. And of course, what I want to love to hear is feedback. And uh, Chen Yu, many thanks for coming on the show, and I look forward to speak to you again sometime in the future. Yeah, thank you very much. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm glad this finally happened.